Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the rebooted and relaunched Investment News Podcast. We've taken a few weeks off this summer, and now we're back in the middle of August. So we appreciate your patience and your hanging in there with us as we get rolling again. We were doing the Investment News Podcast once every week. We've changed up our schedule a little bit after this realignment to every other week or really twice a month, I guess you could say. So that's a that's a little bit different. We also want to thank our uh, sponsor for this episode, Charles Schwab Asset Management. And uh, we also, uh, more, most importantly, we want to thank our two fantastic guests uh, for this afternoon who are taking a little time out from their busy schedules and uh, chatting with us, two of my favorite people, our staff here at Investment News, we have Ryan Neal, our technology editor, talk about artificial intelligence. And I actually tried to write an article about broker-dealers using artificial intelligence last week. So I'd be curious as to Ryan's assessment about how I messed that up. And Emil Halle, new dad out there and uh, as well, and uh, our ESG editor in Investment News, he's going to be here and talking about student loans. So welcome, guys. Thanks, Bruce. Always good to be chatting with you. Yep, thanks for having me, Bruce. And I think you did an absolutely wonderful job talking about LPL waiting into fire to AI. You did great. Did he do a better job though than Chat GPT would have? I'd say yes. On the article, I'd say yes. That's great because some of the paragraphs were, uh, you know, we collaborated on. We could say so. You know, I'm gonna take credit that you know we we did better together than uh, Chat GPT. Yeah, it was around a five. It was a little 500 word story I wrote last week about how the CEOs of LPL and Ameriprise mentioned on their recent earning calls at the end of July that they were using artificial intelligence in different functions for brokers to communicate with clients using marketing or analysis or the like. So Ameriprise didn't give me much, uh, just beyond what the CEO said. Um, but it seems like they're doing some marketing stuff there with ch a chat GPT-like thing. And LPL is trying to have a more robust function, I think, for financial advisors. At least that's what they're saying. But about a 500-word story, I'd say 250 words of those were writing, <laughs> you know. So did you get a reporting tag at least in that? Oh, who's counting? It's a team effort. I asked them to. I said, please. There's no I in, there's no I in investment news, Bruce, as you know. Yes, there is no I. When you spell investment news, there is no I. That's right. So uh, since we're rolling with, with Ryan here a little bit, um, Ryan, you did the, the stuff that I found interesting that I kind of, the background that I took, uh, the, the three or four graphs I took for my story from yours were from your cover story, which came out mid-July, Yes, I think. You did a big cover story, really comprehensive. And I think you'd been thinking about this for several months, right? You'd been trying to get the ball rolling on this. And it was, it was, if, if there's, if somebody wants to read a, a story about how retail financial advisors and securities brokers are using or thinking about a chat GPT like function, AI, go to Ryan Neal's cover story. Do you remember the headline? Is that Ryan or, or what? Not at the top of my head. I'm sure I can look it up here real quick, but uh, yeah, it was, it was our cover story. I think actually early August, it was late July, early August, something like that. Late yeah. July, early August. Okay. So what did you, there's, you know, there's levels of, firms are, are at different levels of using this stuff, right? So could you just tell us what 
a chat GPT function is, an artificial intelligence is, first of all. And then what are, what's like, I think the gold standard is probably Morgan yeah. Stanley out there, if you want to start. Generally, it's just a, a catch-all term for these new programs that are creating content based off of a input from a human. Uh, that could be text, such as ChatGPT. That can be images, video, even sound. We had we had an AI write a, uh, a pop song that did fairly, fairly well. And it, it's, it's generated all this new excitement just because of the possibilities there. Um, we've seen college students use it to write essays or cover letters for job applications. We've seen programmers use it to write code, even debug existing code. You, know, you can give it a line of, uh, of code and say, hey, find the security flaws here and, and it can do those. Or I could do that. So really, there's just a lot of potential there and everyone is so excited about it. There's tons of investment money flowing into it. And every industry, including our little slice of the financial services world, are looking where they can use it as well. And you know what I found is the sort of big three areas are advisor marketing and client communications, right? Like how can we use ChatGPT to generate, you know, customized emails that I could automatically send to clients. Right. One is around research and data. So this is, for example, Morgan Stanley is doing this already. They have in on market a tool for their advisors to ask questions, such as, you know, what form do I need to open up such and such account? Rather than dig around in your Morgan Stanley documents for that. You can just type it into their version of ChatGPT and it'll pull right up for you instantly and fill in the information. Or, you know, yeah. That sounds good. Morgan you... Stanley's investment office, think about this stock that your client has a question about, stuff like that. Uh, so it's not making investment okay. recommendations, but it's giving sort of the answers based on their own data. And then, you know, the third part is kind of open. Uh, a lot of folks are, where else can we use this? Uh, JP Morgan Chase has filed a patent for a consumer-facing investment engine that will be using ChatGPT. We don't know much about what that is going to eventually look like, but we know they're exploring it. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see where this all goes in the near future. So Ryan, how much does this actually have the potential to change folks' day-to-day in financial services? It just seems like every time there's kind of a new technology that folks really want to jump on the bandwagon and say, we're using this, we're going to try to incorporate this into our processes or make it available to clients somehow. Is any of this really that big of a deal yet, or is it just potential? I'd say there's both there. I think you're totally right that there's always a level of hype. um, And we haven't seen something this hyped in a long time. Um, But I would say that this technology is different than recently hyped tech buzzwords, such as Web3 or crypto or metaverse or all that kind of stuff that we've suffered through, where no one can really find a specific (laughs) use case for it. Um, We see use cases for this right now. Uh, As I said, Morgan Stanley has this out. According to them, most advisory teams are using it in some degree. They've had their next best action. It's another AI engine for a while, kind of recommends, you know, client opportunities. You know, whether how much it's going to impact advisors day to day, I'm skeptical. I also think some of these use cases might not take off as much as people think they are, such like the marketing thing. I'll go into that if you'd like me to. But I do think for some of that stuff around looking up, uh, looking up data, looking up forms, looking up information from your family office. Anything that helps advisors rather than dig through a database of 
stuff that they can just ask in normal language, you know, hey, LPL, can you help me with this? And it just answers that for you. I think that's uh, that's pretty useful. So let's go back to the metaverse. And I'm going to kind of trade my status as an elder millennial here. Is that still a thing? Have you have you been uh, a metaverse? Right? No. I kind of yeah, that, it's, I, it's I obviously still around. Um, people, but as far as people in our space talking about it or using it, no, I haven't seen any. I haven't gotten a single metaverse pinch in uh, quite some time. But you went in there, didn't you? You, you I did a little bit. Um, uh, Sean Alaka, if yeah. he's listening, shout out to Sean. Um, he did a, a a bigger piece on it for Investment News while I was away. That's right. But you know, it just I, I never saw practical applications day to day use there. You know what I mean? Like, who wants to put on goggles to do financial planning? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> I think we're waiting yes. for Apple's new contraption to yes. become available, and uh, and then maybe we can decide. I'm just going to write that down as a title, okay? Who wants to put on goggles? <laughs> but I do, I, I, I do mean that seriously. Yeah, that's a, that's a I do mean title. that seriously. That you know, just so many of these tech buzzwords, as Mealy pointed out, they, they they get so much hype. And AI is certainly at that level, but it is. I do think this one is different, just in the sense that we have use cases on market right now. Like here is a product you right. can use in your advice practice. Um, you know where that goes and how it takes off remains to be seen. But that is a big difference already from some of these other uh, buzzwords. When I was doing my little story about this last week, it reminded me of, for some reason, I it, the, this uh, this thing popped up in my head where, when I started at Investment News, you know, two, 23 years ago, brokers and financial advisors would still write weekly newsletters or monthly newsletters to clients, right, and say, "Hey, we've been doing it. This is what's going on at the firm. The dog is good. You know, everyone's fine." And we, this is what happened in the market this week and, and or this month or whatever. And these are, you know, our sector picks or these things. And there used to be a lot of pride in the craftsmanship of those things. And whenever, quite often you'd meet a financial advisor at a conference or whatever out, you know, at a, at a function, you'd exchange cards and I would wind up on his mailing list. And that's a little lost art, you know, but I think it was a very powerful way to communicate with clients. And there's financial advisors out there who like to write right to their clients in this manner is this could it could uh chat gpt like a, a function do that for financial advisors again i think it missed so yes but this is where i would actually uh bring a little more skepticism to the usefulness of the products is uh everyone kind of everyone's already knows this is out there and there's already a bit of a uh skepticism when you see an idea or a pitch or something, you know, in written form, it's already crossed people's minds. Did this person write this or was this ChatGPT? And as the more right. I think that spreads, <laughs> the more I think using it for these things will actually backfire at advisors. And I think I had this in my cover story. You know, yes, you could use it to write these newsletters and offload that all to an AI and you could do a lot more of it and customize it to a lot more of your clients. And I think there's value there but then you have to think are your clients going to read that email and just like oh is he actually writing this or is just an ai doing it and if they can't tell uh, right. then i think it's gonna end up making you look kind of bad and if you know and if every advisor starts yeah. using these same programs to write newsletters it's going to lose its value pretty quickly um and i and a few people told me that when i was researching this cover story 
you know, there's a lot of excitement around the marketing capabilities, but if everyone's using it, then uh, it's just another commodity. Schwab Asset Management is proud to sponsor the Investment News Podcast. In today's complex world, Schwab Asset Management provides a simple, straightforward approach to investing. Their focused lineup of ETFs includes low-cost market cap equity index ETFs and fixed income ETFs. Their bond ETF offerings provide clients with a wide range of low-cost choices for strengthening the diversity of their portfolios. These funds also have the potential to provide tax efficiency, liquidity, and transparency. As one of the largest and most experienced asset managers, Schwab Asset Management is committed to delivering exceptional experiences to investors and the financial professionals who serve them. Learn more at schwabassetmanagement.com forward slash ETFs. That's schwabassetmanagement.com forward slash ETFs. Yeah, I mean, I, I pity the poor eighth grade English yeah. teacher out there who has to read, you know, essays about John Steinbeck or whoever, you know, uh, this coming year and see if, you know, and try to figure out whether their kids ripped them off from yeah. chat GPT. But here's an idea, you know, if you lower the stakes, uh, social media, right? Like advisors keep getting told that they need to do LinkedIn or Twitter or, yes. you know, whatever the alternative to Twitter may be, you know, or just blog posts or any of these kind of things that they're, you know, and not every advisor is a writer. Not every advisor is good at that. If you're not that good at it, right. or just don't care. Yeah, turn over to ChatGPT. Like, why not have ChatGPT write your LinkedIn posts? Um, it gets you out there. It has you doing the thing, uh, and there's not really any harm lost there. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of a why not. Well, usually they would uh, a financial advisor again in the in the old days would have something on sure. staff who could write, you know. And they would do, and they would work on the newsletter with him or her, you know, with the, with the financial advisor. So anyways, Ryan, I, I, I look to you for guidance on all this stuff. Um, and, and I'm really glad that you're around to talk to us about it. Let's move over to, uh, Emil. I don't think you have to do, put on goggles to look at student loans, but, uh, maybe it wouldn't hurt or something. There's been a lot of news about, student loans, um, and we've been covering it from the financial planning angle recently, the forgiveness of student loans, the student loans that are not forgiven. What what have you been focusing on this summer about student loans? Yeah. So thanks, Bruce. I recently wrote about this. October, that is the month when federal student loan payments must resume. If you recall, early in the pandemic, the Trump administration had put uh, a freeze on federal student loan payments. Um, if you wanted, you could do that without a penalty, without interest accruing. And that was extended several times by the Biden administration. But now those are the payments are going back into effect. And what we have um, are folks who have not been having to you know, uh, incorporate those payments into their monthly budgets for three and a half years, all of a sudden having to do it again. And the question that I had is, how is that going to affect something like saving for retirement, 401k contributions. Right. There's kind of some conflicting data out there about that. Fidelity just pointed, they just published some some stats showing that um, about two thirds of recent grads say they have no idea how they're going to start making these payments. And Empower had a survey showing that about a third of borrowers expect to pay, be paying $1,000 a month or more. And people are doing things like having to get roommates so that they can save a little money. Some are planning on racking up 
credit card debts, delaying home purchases. Of course, right now it's great to delay a home purchase because the market is terrible. But I think there's a big question about what's going to happen with 401ks. And it's notable that a provision of uh, the Secure 2.0 Act that was passed last year was a provision that goes into effect next year. And what this does is it allows companies that sponsor a 401k to treat employees' student loan payments kind of the same as if they had been using that money to contribute to the 401k. So if you sponsor a plan and you have a match, but you have you know younger employees, uh, recent grads, or, or other folks who um, aren't otherwise contributing and eligible for that match, now they can be if you institute this kind of a program. The idea behind that isn't really new. This started a few years ago when one plan sponsor, Abbott Labs, had asked the IRS for guidance on this kind of an arrangement, and they got the green light to do that. And since then, there have been, um, to my understanding, a few plans that have gone forward with that arrangement. Um, it's kind of, it's not clear if it's totally allowed for everybody who doesn't have their own letter from the IRS, but generally it seems like it's okay. But now it's codified, and next year, plan sponsors have a green light for that. So we can expect to see well, those kinds so did, of programs. Well, if I was somebody with student loan debt, how would that work? And I just been hired by, you know, IBM or Apple or whoever, you know, how would, how would that, how would that work for me? So, yeah, let's say that you're, you're new to the workforce and you have massive student loans. You have right. to start making these payments on, you're not at a higher salary level. You have other expenses. Rent is high. Saving for retirement is probably the last thing on your mind, but we also know that the earlier you start saving for retirement, the more you can take advantage of the employer match and compounding, the effects of compounding are great. Right. Missing out on those early contributions is is not really too helpful for saving for retirement. So to the extent that you can show your employer, hey, I'm paying like $800 a month to help pay off my loans, but I can't afford to contribute to the 401k. If your employer has one of these programs in place, they can treat that $800 as a percentage of your income that you would have been using to make you eligible for the company match. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Um, sure. and, and another thing that that's interesting is that um, companies that have tuition incentive, basically, to yeah, absolutely, to not default or not delay payment or whatever. Yeah, and if you're a company that that has a four hundred one k match and you want your workers to to get the full extent of that, this is kind of a no brainer. Um, it, it just it makes a lot of sense, especially for the younger workers who are struggling to you know balance the needs of you know saving to retire someday and and pay off these loans that are a more immediately pressing issue. But I should also note that there's another provision of Secure 2.0 that goes into effect, and it allows you, if you're an employer and you have tuition reimbursement, you can use that same budget to direct some of that money to workers who have student loans, student loan payments. Um, before they couldn't necessarily do that. It was kind of in, in a gray area, but now they have the ability to do that too. So next year, it's like there are more options to help folks who are struggling with student loans. And that comes at a time where a lot of people really are going to. I think that there's probably little question about that, You know, especially if you've, let's say you entered the workforce during the pandemic and you haven't had to budget for these student loan payments. And maybe you thought you were going to get some relief from the loan forgiveness that President Biden had tried to institute through an executive order. The Supreme Court 
rejected that. And so now there is there there's a new forgiveness program, but it's very limited in scope. Although there are some options for income-based repayment that are, that are available, but yeah, a lot of folks are going to have to start making those payments come October. They haven't uh, already been doing that. Have student loan payments been suspended before in the past? Before COVID? Uh, yeah, pre-COVID, or was that the first time that they were suspended? Testing my my knowledge here, Bruce. I, okay. I, I, uh, I can I can tell okay. you from personal experience, they were not suspended any time over the last decade. Before COVID, because I don't, I, I certainly would have taken. Okay, and, and when and you finished grad school? Uh, I finished when? grad school in right. 2012. Yeah, 2012. Okay, so right when we were finishing up the credit crisis. Oh yeah, uh, housing crisis. Yeah, it was crazy. Basically. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough it, market. But it's uh, it seems it's interesting. How else can 401k matches and things be manipulated, Emil? Do you think? Are there? Because this seems like an interesting way for the 401k to be used as a, as a, as a practical thing. Yeah. I mean, there's not, there's not a downside for employers unless they offer an incentive that they don't really want to provide. I mean, nobody, nobody really loses here, I guess, maybe except, yeah. And then the workers don't even, they're not even losing if they don't, if they can't contribute their own money to it. I mean, I, I guess, you know, you lose if you have a lot of student loan debt in the first place and that's just not a great system that we have. That is a personal opinion, but right, yeah, college is way too expensive. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Like the cost of it is has outpaced inflation. And, yes, you know, you have folks. Why about what? Who have two times or something? They, I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not sure what the current figures are, but it's, you know, you have folks who Mike, um, they're entering their senior year in high school, so you know we're looking at college tuition, and you know, state college is five times as much as it was. Or something when I was ten times as much. As, All I can as, say is I'm glad that I, 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 I'm not recently, yeah. uh, that I'm not a recent grad, or that I would be going to college now. Yeah, um, yeah. The cost bears little resemblance to what it did when I finished yeah. school. Yeah. yeah. My thought here is what I really like about these programs is it. It seems like it's a really helpful uh, savings program in a time when there seem to be cut more and more across industries. So I'd be just curious to see how well these take off. It just seems like even having a 401k match at all is more of a rarity these days than it was just a few years ago. Uh, but it, you know, if, if this encourages employers to start offering things like this, I think that'd be uh, you know a, a rare a rare win for uh, for sabers out there. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I think that you know there will almost certainly be some uptick in it. And the reason that I say that is a lot of the major 401k record keepers, I mean, they, they have a lot of incentive, right. right? They want the assets and their, you know, their, their books of business to grow, you know, and it's good for workers too. So, you know, right. There's not a whole lot of downside, but these companies are, are working with these businesses that specialize in providing these programs. So big record keepers like Empower and, and Fidelity, they're, they have these these available, or they will have these available um, if they don't already. Yeah, it's getting a 22-year-old, though, to think, you know, <laughs> about life could be like when he, when he or she is 25 or 30, so. Well, they don't, I mean, so the point is they don't actually have to be taking any of their income and putting it into the 401k. Yes. It's free money, basically. It's money that yep. would otherwise just be left on the table. Yep. 
Yeah. I get it. All right, man. Anything else? Been getting a lot of rain up here in Maine. <laughs> How are the mushrooms? In a wet year. The mushrooms are so good this year. I've, I, he lives I next to a mushroom farm. Just... Well, no, my father-in-law is a shiitake mushroom farmer. Okay. Um, that's part of his trade. But no, I, I enjoy going into the woods and foraging. And it's been really obscene, the amount of chanterelles we've had this year. I just harvested probably about three pounds of black oh. trumpet mushrooms that I'm drying out to. So it's going to be a treat in the middle of winter when we don't have a lot of fresh food. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yeah. Thank you, climate change, for all this extreme yeah. weather we've been having. <laughs> Ryan, how about you? Anything else? What's going on with your meds, man? What happened? They had the... They had the <laughs> oh, they fell apart. So same as, so same as every year. The Metropolitan's... They, well, they won 101 games last year. They're going to win. They're going to win 70 this year, and but they they made two uh, two years in a row. They bet on old pitching, which is not a good belt to make. So one year it worked out, and they won 101 games. And one year it did not work out, and they're going to win. That's all she was. But that's about it for me, guys. So if you could just hang on there, please. So just to close out, everybody. So launching. Every other Monday, it's another episode of the Invest News Podcast. We want to thank our special guests this week, Ryan Neal and Emil Halei, colleagues. We also want to thank our sponsor, Charles Schwab Asset Management. Of course, you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com. You can also find it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. My Twitter handle is at BD News. Guys, stay tuned. We'll be talking to you in two weeks. 